Welcome back to True Crime BNB week 63. Hello, I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And this week is a normal week. Bailey is going to break our hearts. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to... Lift us back up at the end? Yeah, after I piss everybody off royally and okay. I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to tell you about the murder of Birna Brine's daughter in Iceland. Okay. Iceland, if you don't know... It's a very safe country. They actually have an average of 1.6 murders per year there. Wow. And most of those are drunken accident, just like a fight that ended up somebody hit their head or something like that. Birna grew up in the suburbs of Reykjavik, Iceland. She had a strong love for music and dancing and fashion. She worked at a clothing store with her friend. She also was very fond of the U.S. and had been learning English and now spoke it fluently at the age of 20 years old. Wow. And she had, later in the year, this is taking place in 2017, she had planned a trip with that best friend that she worked with. They were going to visit New York and try to make it work out in the U.S. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Specifically wanted to go into makeup and doing it professionally for the movies. Okay. She also had a cat named Drecky, which translates to dragon, Aww. who despised and consistently attacked absolutely everyone. However, <laughs> Birnus just fiercely defended this little cat and loved it with her entire fucking heart. <laughs> and I just think that says a so lot So basically, Drecky is puss. Drecky is puss, just a terror on the neighborhood, you know? I mean, she loves people, but she wants to eat all other creatures. You wouldn't know she likes you by the way she screams at you. Yeah. Wow. Well, Berenice sounds like a sweetheart. Yeah, I just wanted, because there's not a whole lot about her personality, I just wanted to add a little bit there. I think that Drecky is an important part of a person's life. I agree. That's just one of those details that, to me, humanizes her quite a bit. That's right. On Friday, January 13th, 2017, Birna did her usual routine of clocking out of work, and then she would go to the local pub and play cards with her friends. And after that, around midnight, when all the big clubs started opening up, she would go dancing for a couple hours and then go home. That was her usual Friday night routine. Okay. Her friends at the club decided to leave around 2 a.m., but she hadn't finished dancing. She wanted to keep going for a little bit longer, and she told them, just go home without me, and I'll make my way home when I'm ready. And so finally, around 5 a.m., this girl danced for five straight hours. That is... I don't have it in me, but... (laughs) But around 5 a.m., the club was beginning to close down, and Birna walked home out on the main street in downtown Reykjavik. It's not even late anymore. It's early now. It's now like everybody's going to work in the morning. Yeah. Or at least getting up and getting in the shower, so... Yeah. Also, I forgot to write this down, but in Iceland, at this time of the year, they only have about five hours of daylight during the day. The younger kids would go out and party until probably 7, 8 a.m. Yeah, because it's basically on the same latitude as southern Alaska. Yeah, Alaska, yeah. The sun would come up somewhere around, I think they said, 10 or 11 a.m. and would go down by 3 p.m. Can you imagine how weird that would be? I would love I mean, that. I, I love nighttime. So. I do, too. So, at 5 a.m., Berenice all walking down the main road in Reykjavik. Since she had been drinking all night, basically, she stopped at a little food stand and got a falafel pita for her walk home. Mm. And she lived with her father in the suburbs outside of Reykjavik, about a 30-minute walk from downtown. Okay. Later in that day, on Saturday, Birna did not show up for her usual shift at the clothing store, and so her co-worker slash her best friend since primary school 
tried calling her cell phone and she wasn't answering. And so the friend decided to go ahead and call Birna's mother, Sia. Sia knew that Birna had not come home. She contacted her father, said, nope, she's not at my house either. And so she immediately contacted the police and filed a report that same day, so Saturday. At that point, the police pulled the CCTV footage from the main road that Birna had been walking down that night. So is CCTV a huge thing there, like it is in the UK, or is it just that she happened to be walking down a road that had it? It's just the main road. It literally intersects the whole city. And so they have a lot of businesses that had the cameras outside, but there were spots in the footage. So they could travel kind of where she had gone, but not really all the way. Okay. They did see her leaving the club and then stopping for food at the little cart, and she was alone this whole time. They could also tell that she was pretty intoxicated because she was fumbling after she got the food. She had a bunch of coins in her hand. It was just dropping them everywhere and just kind of looked down and gave up on picking them up. Just kept walking. Same girl. I get it. Mm -hmm. They saw that and then she also accidentally stumbled into a stranger walking beside her on the sidewalk at some point. But they didn't speak any words to each other, just kept moving along. Were they going the same way or the opposite I think opposite. She just shouldered him or something. Okay. From this footage, they were able to tell what she was last wearing, at least. And so they determined she was wearing black jeans, gray sweater, and black Doc Martin boots. Okay. On Sunday, January 15th, so it's about 24 hours since she has gone missing, the police contacted her mother to let her know that they had tracked Berna's last cell phone ping, which was about 5.50 a.m., 24 hours previously, in the nearby town of... I can't say this word. Hofnerfuhrer. This town was an industrial town outside of Reykjavik. It's mainly used for fishing, but they also had a lot of factories in the area. Okay. Sia, Berna's mother, immediately gathered all of hers and Berna's friends to go over to this town and start door by door going through and seeing if anybody, any of the employees, has seen her daughter. So it was a pretty small town? I think just not a lot of people lived there, so it was more people went there during the day and worked there and then went home. Okay. And they Mm. did not find anything. Okay. The police at this point were not really investigating too heavily. I mean, they pulled the security footage, but they were kind of like, this doesn't happen. We highly suspect she probably went out with somebody else or has a friend you don't know about. It's more likely, and they're not wrong, it is more likely to be that. But Sia insisted that she was going to keep trying to investigate what happened to her daughter. Of course she was. After reviewing the CCTV footage once again, because of her insistence, the police finally spotted the last time that Farron had been seen along this main road. She had technically disappeared after being seen on this because the next camera they had, which was a block up that road further towards her house, she never at any point passed that. So they knew somewhere in this block she disappeared. Was anyone following her? They didn't see anybody on the sidewalk next to her. However, they did notice 30 seconds after she passed that camera going the opposite direction, they saw a red Kia Rio. And they couldn't see inside the car, but they're thinking, okay, maybe whoever is in that car picked her up, gave her a ride somewhere. We don't know. So this car was going the opposite direction she was. Mm -hmm. This is not someone who followed her from the bar she just came from. Right. It's possible that she was walking, saw them coming towards her, and then flagged them down and said, please take me home. I'm I'm intoxicated. I don't want to walk, you know? And it's January in Iceland and it's damn cold. Yeah, but she's also got the alcohol warmth, so she's good. That's true. After seeing the footage, they showed it to her mother and she told them, I don't know whose car that is. I don't recognize it. 
they couldn't see the license plate. So all they could really do is say, we know the make and model and the color, but that's not really that helpful in a big city. No. By Monday evening, so two days after she's gone missing now, the car and Birna's photo were all over the local news, as well as the so far known details of her disappearance. That night, two young men decided to start their own search party, and they're like, okay, we're going to help out Sia, and went to that town where her phone had pinged. When they arrived there, they went to a fenced-off area at a harbor, and they spotted a pair of black Doc Martin boots. Oh, no. Now it's just the boots. But, obviously, the police came, collected the boots, and they did confirm that those were the boots that belonged to Birna, and she'd been wearing that night. The thing about Doc Martens is they're big, chunky boots. Mm-hmm. You can't get your jeans off with your boots on. That's true. So if they wanted to sexually assault her, yeah. she had to take those boots off in order to get her pants off unless they just pull them down. But That's true. I didn't think them. about that, but you're didn't totally have... right. You're totally right. Oh, jeez. Police now realize this is actually probably foul play at hand. Yeah. And so they decided to pull the security footage from the harbor itself. And they saw that right after 6 a.m. Saturday morning, so about an hour after she was last seen walking on the other camera, on the other camera across town, Okay. right after 6 a.m., a red Kia Rio could be seen entering the area of the harbor, as well as an unknown man exiting the passenger seat and drunkenly stumbling onto a fishing boat that was just staying there for the day, essentially. Okay. They didn't know anything about this fishing boat. Except it had the name of the boat on the side of it, and it also had a Greenland flag on top. So they said, okay, whoever was in this car has an affiliation with this boat and this crew somehow. And then they saw the car drive off. However, they had all that information about the person from Greenland, but they also could now clearly see the license plate of this car. And so they tracked that down, and it went to a rental company. The rental company provided the information of the person who had the car that night. It was rented out to a 25-year-old named Thomas Olson, a fisherman from Greenland. Okay. So. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So he was there on shore leave. Yeah. He was just night out with his buddy. Did they see a buddy getting out of the car too? The guy that got out of the passenger seat and then went up to the boat. That's how they know that he was associated with the boat. Yeah. That was his buddy. Okay. So but Thomas they didn't is the see, one driving. But they didn't actually see Thomas get out and go to the boat? No, because he had to return the car that same morning. Oh, all right. That makes sense. So he just drove off at some point. Sorry, I don't that. mean to break up your story. No, but it's I okay. Just... Ask away. I might know the answer sometimes. With this information, unfortunately, the boat in question has now embarked. So instead, the police went and confiscated the car that had been rented out, and even though it had been, like, bleached and cleaned very heavily, they did a luminal test and found it absolutely lit up in the back seat of it. Oh, Jesus Christ. At this point, they obviously knew who they were looking for, this Thomas Olson guy, and due to the media coverage, word got back on social media to the crewmates of Thomas on his ship. They're still out in the ocean at this point. Okay. Seeing that the person the police were looking for had an affiliation with their ship, all the crewmates were like, oh shit, that's somebody on the ship. And then they also saw on the news the person that they're looking for rented this red car. And they're like, didn't Thomas have a red car while we were in Iceland? And we kind of started spreading around like little gossip mill. Thomas was freaking out about it and was like, oh, they're falsely accusing me of all this. And he brought it up to his captain. And the captain at this point simply told him, you don't have anything to worry about if you haven't done anything. True that, Captain. Yep. And this same captain 
decided, even though they were headed back to Greenland at this point, he decided that he was going to discreetly steer the boat back towards Iceland. Holy crap, good for him. And his name wasn't mentioned anywhere. I wanted to, like, shout him out because that is such an awesome thing. That is heroic. Good for him. But, But that solved, like, in this case... So many problems of different laws in different countries and getting them back absolutely domestically. So absolutely, he also got some of the higher up of the crew members to create a ruse with him, where they decided they were going to tell Thomas that the engine had malfunctioned, had an issue of some sort, and they had to go back to Iceland, and that's why they were porting back there. Oh wow! And you know Thomas is shitting himself right yeah, now. Yep. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't be worried if he didn't do anything. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So, finally, on Wednesday morning, Iceland police officers boarded the ship and arrested Thomas, and they also identified the other crew member that was with him in the car that night as a fellow fisherman on that boat named Nikolaj Olsen. They're not related, though. Both men, after being arrested, had essentially the same story, except the only difference was that Nikolaj had been so drunk he didn't remember anything and that was confirmed because in the footage they saw that he was very clearly inebriated according to them they picked up two women on that main road only thomas remembers this happening he then dropped off nikolaj at the ship and then according to thomas he proceeded to get into the back seat of the car with both of the women and made out with one of them i don't that doesn't sound like something that actually happened all right, so do we even believe there was a second woman, or was that a lie? He changes it later. There was only one, actually. Okay, because yeah. he's trying to make it sound like she wasn't a defenseless woman on her own. Exactly. He's, he's trying, trying to make, make it sound... sound as well, there were two of them. She was safe. According to him, he kissed one of the women in the backseat of the car, and then he dropped off the two women further up the road where he conveniently could not be seen on the camera. Mm-hmm. So. How handy. And then he fell asleep in the rental car before taking it back. After a large overhead search of the area on January 22nd, Berna's body was finally found, washed up on Iceland's southern peninsula. Mm. She was nude, though she showed no signs of sexual assault, but most people think she was in the ocean for a while there, if he did. What was her cause of death? She had been hit in the face, which is the cause all the bleeding in the back seat, and then strangled. But, horrifically, the cause of death ended up being drowning in the autopsy, which revealed that she was still alive when Thomas had thrown her into the ocean. So she may have passed out from all of the strangulation and the and the punching. And the blood loss, yeah. But she drowned. She and- could have survived if he had not thrown her in the ocean, which breaks my heart. Thomas Olson was convicted of murder in November of 2017 and received 19 years in prison. Again, I love that they're so forgiving in these countries, but that is not enough time. No, no, because she was a vibrant, young, wonderful person who just wanted to go out into the world and find herself. And this douchebag who just happened to run across her on the street mm-hmm. just decided that she wasn't going to have that chance. And in 19 years, when he is free from prison, she would barely even be considered middle-aged. That's yeah. fucking bullshit. I'm sorry. It is bullshit, yes. Yeah. They did have overwhelming evidence. They found, obviously, Birna's blood in the backseat of his rental. They found her driver's license in his trash in his ship cabin with his fingerprints on it so in case he decided to point fingers at anybody else. What did he think was going to happen to the driver's license in his trash in the ship cabin? Just hopefully got lost in a dump somewhere? I don't know. Well, he was an idiot to think that... Why would you even take it back on the ship? 
Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. It's not like you're going to... Why didn't you just throw it overboard, you stupid moron? Or better yet, leave it in Iceland. It's not like I, Iceland probably has a record of your fingerprints in their database, you know? Crazy. What a doofus. Yeah. Birna's death greatly affected the sense of safety in Iceland, specifically for the youth who otherwise had grown up thinking that they were kind of invincible. Yeah. And afterwards, a group was formed for obtaining rides specifically for women and women alone. So only women drivers, and it was like a volunteer basis. Wow. Yeah, so it at least brought some good to the town. I think that loss of innocence has to be such a punch in the face. Because yeah. it was like that for the Cabo Verde mm-hmm. islands where they weren't used to crime like this. What is wrong with people? Why do people have to hurt somebody to feel good about themselves? Well, I'm sick of doing what everyone else thinks I'm supposed to do. I'm going to go out and do what I want to do. And these people go out and they're just like... How is that, though, your only option for, like, I'm bored with my life. Let me go kill. Let me go rape. Let me go... Okay, have you heard of just, like, doing karaoke? Like, do something fun. I don't... Yeah. Yeah. But I just have one more bullet. Despite the wake-up call the circumstances of Birna's death provided to the youth, Birna's mom, Sia, hopes that her daughter will be remembered as the ambitious, outgoing, fun, and loving young woman that she was. Well, she sounds like a fun person to be around. She sounds like she was going to make something with her life. And it's so unfair that... She was only six months away from that trip to New York. That would have changed everything for her. Yeah. But, I mean, just think about that, though. She was murdered outside of Reykjavik. I know. Which is probably one of the safer cities in the world. It's like Kim Wall. How she yes. had been in fucking North Korea, and then she got killed right outside of her home. Exactly. And it's mind-boggling. Yeah, by someone who supposedly should have been a safe person to be around. Yeah. He was another person with those deranged, oh, well, I just want to do something that's outside of, of what I'm allowed to do. And because you're out in the ocean, you have the audacity to just throw them and think nobody's going to notice that woman went missing. Yeah. You think that 20-year-old girl doesn't have people that are going to go, hey, we haven't seen her for... Yeah. God. What a, what a nightmare. Of a- Poor Birna. Sweet girl. Poor Birna. Okay, that's my whole story. You can that was, make us... That was horrible. All right, let's talk about another woman. Okay. This is the story of what happened to Yuli Solano, and her story was fairly well covered at the time. Okay. But she was born in the country of Peru back in 1976. Yuli had grown up to be an independent, active, vibrant, self-reliant, and really energetic woman. She worked in banking. She was very, very smart and capable of handling anything that came along. By the time she reached 41, Yuli had been a single mother for most of the life of her 18-year-old daughter, Ariana. Ariana was just starting her first year of college. The two of them were very, very close. And even though Yuli had relocated from Peru to Florida years earlier, she still called her parents every single day. So she had a good job working for Wells Fargo Bank, and things were going really well for her in her life. She was happy in her life. In 2017, Yuli bought a condominium in a development called Inlet Harbor Club in Boynton Beach, Florida. It was good because they didn't have yard work to take care of. They had their own personal space. There were amenities close by. And that's a real selling point to single parents who have no time. They also had a fluffy little dog named Coco. And they were walking trails around the condo grounds. And they could get out and walk Coco a few times a day. 
And Yuli especially liked doing that. Mm -hmm. The first day that Yuli and Ariana were moving into the new condo, Yuli's mom had traveled to Florida from Peru to help them get moved in and settled. Just kind of walking through the building, they met a man from another part of the building who invited them all to his home for Sunday dinner because he recognized that they were new people and he didn't know them. Okay, so it's just a get-to-know-your-neighbors. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you must be new here. Come on down. I'll feed you Sunday dinner. Okay. Michael DeMarco was a 55-year-old divorced father of two, and he was also a deputy with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. I know that's supposed to make people sound safe, but that just makes me go, oh, no, no. He ain't wrong. (laughs) Okay. During this first dinner that he had for them, he brought out his pet snake, and he also talked bitterly about his ex-wife and what a warden she turned out to be. And even though she found him to be a little bit strange doing these things on the first time that they ever visited his home, Yuli played down her feelings about his being kind of odd because he was a sheriff. Surely that meant he must be a good guy. Over the next few weeks, Yuli and Michael DeMarco started running into each other more often. They'd see each other in the hallway. They started walking their dogs together. And over the next few weeks, she did start warming up to him. And eventually, after several months, she agreed to go out with him. Okay. Pretty quickly, Yuli Solano and Michael DeMarco were involved in a relationship. She never loved him, but she was having fun at the beginning. She was going on boat trips. They were intertubing. They were doing activities that were fun, not only for Yuli and Michael, but also for Ayana. Well, yeah, as a teenager, that sounds like the time of your life. Exactly. Early into this new relationship, Michael said he didn't think much of the gym where she worked out, and so he invited her to come to his gym and work out there instead, where there weren't so many meatheads. Well, that sounds like he's looking out for her, but to me, that sounds like a guy who doesn't want you around other men. Yeah, very territorial, and also gives me that uneasy feeling of, this is his home base. Exactly, exactly. The other residents in the condo development thought of Michael as the local safety officer, And they thought that having him there was a measure of protection for all of them. And on some level, for those people that weren't dating him, that was true. He would be a measure of protection for you if he didn't really want to control you. For Yuli, even though at first he did seem like a nice guy, as the relationship got more involved, she started to see things about him that she did not like. And you and I picked up on him before she did, But it's a lot easier to see it from 20,000 feet than it is to see it at five feet. One of the first red flags was that when they would go out for dinner, Michael would always pick the restaurant and he wanted to order for Yuli. He saw nothing wrong with his picking her meals for her. Ariana said her mother had always been strong-minded and independent, so this was really rubbing Yuli the wrong way, to have a man trying to control something that personal for her. Yeah, I'm sorry. I would throw it in their fucking face if any man tried to do that. No. What's wrong with you? If he set it up like this and said, okay, we've been dating for a year, I would like to see if what I would pick for you is something that you would enjoy, and then Mm -hmm. lay that out for you and say... This is what I think you might enjoy. Yeah, and then you have the choice to say, no, that's not right. Or, yes, that sounds great. Let's do that. Especially if you go into the meal knowing, even if it's, it's terrible and you hate it, it's still like a funny, cute little date. Like, you know, but... Right, because it's about collaboration instead of control. Yeah, it's, it's demeaning otherwise. That's so right. Understand. Why would you know better than I do what I want? 
Yuli, as she was getting to know him better and on this more date-like level as opposed to just a guy who lived down the hall, she started really understanding that Michael was not a happy person in his life. He was just generally not a happy man. He would sometimes make racist comments, which was obviously didn't make any sense because she's Latina. Yeah. And he would make comments against people that he called, quote, Spanish people, even though Yuli herself was Peruvian born. He was controlling. He was becoming very possessive of her. And he wanted to know where she was all the time. Anytime Yuli would make her daily calls to her parents or the occasional work call that would come to her home, DeMarco was just annoyed that she would be talking to somebody else. When she was speaking to her parents, she spoke in Spanish because that's their native tongue. Mm -hmm. And he would be outraged, thinking that she must be talking to a guy and trying to cover up what she's saying because he did not speak Spanish. Then, dude, leave. Like, if you're that fucking paranoid. If you're that insecure, then this is not the right woman for you. Okay. DeMarco would always want to know who she was talking to. Why was she talking to that person? Why was it taking so long? And then he would accuse her of cheating with bankers from her work. He had started becoming verbally abusive towards her. As soon as this behavior started, Yuli decided to start honoring her misgivings about him. She began withdrawing from involvement with him. He started talking about them moving in together after only a month of dating. Yuli, obviously, didn't want that. A month? Are you kidding me? Well, they had known each other about five months before they started dating. And then after they had dated for a month, he started saying, hey, let's move in together. Well, she didn't want that because she liked having her own home. She didn't want to get more involved with him. She was trying to extricate herself from him, mm-hmm. not get deeper into this bad relationship. Yeah, it sounds like she's kind of also trying not to set him off, just like exactly. slowly, yeah, she, less and less. She was being very smart about it. She wasn't saying, I don't like you, I, I want you to go away. She really tried over time to get him to leave her by pulling away. But in the car one day... He started talking again about going to Home Depot so they could pick out paint colors to paint his house when they moved in, even though he had been told by her that she did not want to move in. Delusional. Okay. Not wanting to set him off, not wanting to agree to any kind of commitment about this, Yuli just said she didn't want to do that right then. He immediately started screaming at her. He started speeding up. He started blowing through lights. He was driving like a maniac, and he was also accusing her again of cheating. He said the reason Yuli didn't want to move in with him was because she was sleeping around with other men. He screamed at her that she was a whore. Ariana happened to be in the back seat listening to this verbal abuse the whole time. In front of her daughter? In front of her daughter, calling her a whore. After a devolving few months of knowing one another that had sort of started strange and then turned into constant arguments and yelling, Yuli had reached her breaking point. And she told him, we're not going to see each other anymore. Mm -hmm. After this, after he got dumped, DeMarco went on anti-anxiety medications and he was actually not processing this development. He just kept insisting that she couldn't push him away. A neighbor of DeMarco later said that DeMarco had been totally blindsided by being dumped. He had thought everything was going to work out. He saw nothing wrong with his behavior towards Yuli. Yeah, they never do. No. It's perfectly fine. Whatever I do is fine. I was so happy. Why are you not happy? Exactly. (laughs) While they had been together in their one month of dating, before she had seen what he was really like, he had insisted on buying her a new mattress and a mirror, which came up to a total of about $2,400. 
After she broke up with him, he filed a lawsuit against her demanding either return of the items or repayment. And I found some conflicting information that said that because he was the deputy detective in charge of the civil process unit, that he had actually gone to her home and served those papers to her personally in uniform, which would clearly be a conflict of interest and an abuse of that position. I don't know whether it's true or not that that happened because Chris Hansen's Crime Watch Daily on YouTube said that it was just a process server. So okay. I don't know which of those things is true, but it was pretty petty that he was trying to get this money or get the mattress and the mirror back from her. Either way, he was just using this lawsuit to harass and intimidate her. And keep the contact. And keep the contact. Mm -hmm. But it was super uncomfortable for Yuli, with Michael living on the south end of the same condo development where she lived on the west side. Mm -hmm. He would follow her. He stalked her. He tried to intimidate her. He actually went and scratched her name off of her mailbox, which was both petty and threatening. It was a gesture of, I can erase you if I want to. He dumped piles and boxes of stuff on the ground in front of her front door to keep her from getting out of her condo just to harass her. He blocked her from driving out of the lot so he would pull his car in front of the gate and wouldn't let her leave. Twice she tried to report to the condo association that she was being terrorized by him. Mm -hmm. But since they knew him, they just laughed it off as ridiculous. They actually laughed at her on the phone after she spent 40 minutes on the phone trying to convey to them the things that he had been doing to her. The condo association told her it wasn't their responsibility. But the truth was, they just believed his uniform over her experiences. I'm sorry. If I was the condo board, oh, it's not your responsibility, so whose is it? The police? Oh, you mean the police he works for? Help a girl out. Come on. Yeah. Come well, on. they didn't want to estrange him. Yeah. They wanted him on their side. They didn't want him terrorizing them. They valued what he did for them, so they... Well, and they knew that he had a level of power that most of the people in that building didn't have. True. So if he got angry, who knows what he might do, right? Then they're the targets next. Yeah. Exactly. True. Okay. By this point, Yuli had known Michael for about six months, which is not that long a time. No, this all happened. That's crazy. They had dated for only one month. And over the three weeks following their breakup, he started getting increasingly agitated and in her words, nasty. So she had blocked him on her phone mm -hmm. because he was blowing up her phone. Calls, texts, constant barrage of trying to communicate with her. But when she blocked him, he started blowing up her corporate phone from Wells Fargo Bank. Oh, God. I mean, she could block him there, too. But what if he used a different number? She can't block every number that comes to your corporate phone. And again, for Yuli, it was really hard to just avoid him because they lived in the same condo building. She wanted to file for a protection order, but because he was a sheriff's deputy and people had blown off her previous attempts to tell them why she was afraid of him, she feared there would just be retaliation if she went and filed any kind of formal complaint. But a few weeks after the breakup, she thought again about it and wanted to go ahead and report his harassment, but she never had another chance to do it. Okay. On October 12th, 2017, Yuli was up early, walking her little dog, Coco, which she did every morning before she and Ariana left the condo to start their days. She normally was pretty quick about it, but Ariana started to notice that her mom was taking a lot longer than usual. Yuli had been on her way home, coming back along the walk path, and she saw a silver car waiting for her where the path entered the condo property. She recognized the car as the unmarked vehicle that DeMarco used as a deputy detective. 
The instant she saw Michael DeMarco in uniform getting out of his car, Yuli knew that something bad was about to happen. She had the feeling in her gut. She started taking longer steps, walking faster, just trying to get past him. As he stepped out of his car, he whined to her, You treat me worse than a dog. You won't even talk to me. Yuli saw a community maintenance man nearby and called out to him, hoping that DeMarco would realize he'd been seen not just by Yuli, but by someone else. Mm -hmm. And maybe he would just get in his car and leave. She held tightly to her little dog's leash and took a few more steps away from DeMarco. He grabbed her arm with one hand. She started taking steps backwards away from him, put her hand up to her mouth. He's putting his hand on his service weapon at this point. She went to pull her arm out of his grasp. He pulled out his Glock 9mm service weapon. She put her hand up to her face, clearly terrified, but nevertheless, he raised his gun and casually shot her through her right arm and into her right chest. She fell. She looked up into the sky as she thought about what would happen to Ariana, whom she was clearly going to leave behind after he finished killing her. He fired three more bullets into what is commonly called the kill zone, and she felt the oxygen leaving her lungs, thinking for sure that she was going to die. And then, after shooting her four times at close range, DeMarco shot himself in the chest. After he fell to the ground, he raised the gun once more and shot himself in the head, committing suicide in the parking lot just a step away from where Yuli lay on the ground. But Yuli, now lying on her right side and facing away from where DeMarco had fallen, had heard the final shot, thinking that DeMarco had just killed her dog. Oh, no. But no. Little Coco was jumping on top of the prone DeMarco, <laughs> as if he was trying to keep him from getting back up and hurting Yuli anymore. Damn it, Mom. <laughs> this little dog. I saw in the video, this little tiny dog. They have video of this? There's a video. There's a full video of the entire event. This little tiny dog is standing on DeMarco's chest, just stepping around on him like, you're not getting up and hurting my mommy. Stay down, fucker. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. A bystander called 911. It may have been that maintenance man that she called out to earlier, but I don't know that for sure. I couldn't find confirmation of that. hopefully somebody called 911 now that six shots have rung out throughout this place. Yeah. God. So the bystander who called 911 told the operator that a sheriff had walked up to a woman he used to date and shot her and then himself. The operator replied, a sheriff? He was close enough to the scene that in the background, as he walked closer, Yuli could be heard begging for somebody to please help her. It was later discovered that earlier in the morning, DeMarco had made a phone call to another deputy asking her to back him up at an eviction that he was supposed to serve later that day. The other deputy said DeMarco seemed calm, sane, rational, and unworried, and that she, not he, had ended that call. She said that he had seemed normal, had not been rushing to finish the call. One minute after they hung up, DeMarco got out of his car and tried to kill Yuli and then shot himself. So either he had not really planned to kill Yuli, Mm -hmm. or he was just really pulling it off and trying to make sure that responsibility he had later in the day was covered. Yeah. And nobody Uh, knows for sure which it was. Something about the calmness almost makes me think he had accepted that he was going to do this, though. It's just so casual that it's creepy. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is creepy just because literally within a minute. Yeah. After he hung up from that call, he was grabbing Yuli's arm. Crazy. Meanwhile, back up in the condo, you remember Ariana had been worrying why her mom was taking so long. 
She had been worrying and wondering, and she was still in their condo when she heard the gunshots. Oh, no. But she mostly disregarded those. She didn't immediately think, oh, that has anything to do with my mom. Mm -hmm. But it was the ambulance sirens that made her drop what she was doing and run down the stairs. As soon as she heard the ambulance, she knew that must be for her mom. Because at this point, there's no reason that her mom should be taking this long. When Ariana arrived downstairs in the parking lot, she saw her mother on the ground, bleeding. Sheriff's deputies would not let her close, so they kept her away from her mom to prevent her from seeing the gore and these injuries up close. And from several yards away, Ariana wasn't even sure if her mom was alive or dead. Of course, she feared the worst. She saw Coco frantically trying to get Yuli to get up, to stand up. Somebody brought Ariana the leash, and she held on to Coco and kept her out of the way. First responders did everything they could to slow down Yuli's blood loss and to instill in her the belief that she was going to survive because at that point, Yuli believed she was going to die. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want her to believe that. They wanted her to believe she was going to live so she would have the will to keep breathing. Yeah. They continued telling her to stay awake, but Yuli did black out in the ambulance once they were on the way to the hospital where she underwent many hours of surgery to repair what damage was possible to repair. Her chest was completely filled with blood because of the gunshots to her lungs, so she had to be intubated. She had lost half of her blood. It took 90 minutes to stabilize her. She was sedated and given a paralytic to allow her chest injuries to begin to heal. She was in that coma for two weeks. When Yuli's mother and father flew in from Peru to be with their daughter, she was still in the induced coma to stabilize her traumatized body. Her parents were the first people she saw upon awakening from the coma. She wasn't able to speak. She could barely move her head. Blinking was the only thing that was easy for her to do. It was hard for her, knowing that her elderly parents were having to go through such a frightening, terrifying thing with their child. Ariana was also at her mom's bedside every day to encourage her and help in any way that she could. Yuli lost half her right lung, her right breast. Her right hand is paralyzed from the nerve damage in her arm. She's bullet fragments in multiple locations in her body. Her liver was sliced in half. She lost parts of five areas of her ribs, and those were replaced by donor bone pieces from cadavers. She has ongoing nerve pain that requires pain medications to handle, and she suffers greatly from PTSD. Yuli was unable to work after the attack, so she lost her job in finance. She spent over five weeks in the hospital, had over a million dollars in medical bills, and even when she was released, the surgeries continued. In desperation, Ariana started a GoFundMe with a goal of $100,000. But in the six years since she set that up, they've only received donations of less than $18,000. Wow. I know. It's hard for me to believe that in six years, that's that's all that they got. So if anybody would care to donate to their GoFundMe, I will put a link to it in our show notes. After Yuli went home, still healing, protective little Coco would not leave her side. I bet. Ariana said that Coco was determined to heal Yuli with his cuddles. (laughs) (laughs) Yuli also said that she had watched the surveillance video that shows the entire crime against her and that she had needed to see it because it filled in the blanks of things she couldn't remember. Because Mm -hmm. trauma doesn't always allow you to see everything in your mind. Sometimes your brain just blocks things out that it would be too hard for you to remember. And it happened so damn fast, too. It did. It really did. Yuli also needed to see the video because she had to see for herself that he was actually dead. Mm-hmm. 
because by the time she had awakened from her coma, he had already been buried. Oh. Yuli said that when she found out that Michael had killed himself after what he had done to her, she was glad. She was glad he was dead because she did not tell him to kill himself. She did not want him to kill himself. She did not cause him to kill himself. But if he would do this to her, he would do it to someone else in the future again without thinking. Mm-hmm. Ariana said about her mom, quote, I believe my mother is so strong today because she's on a mission to prevent this from happening to other families, other women, end quote. They both want people to take action if they know someone is going through something like this with a stalker or an ex-partner. Several entities could have intervened and maybe prevented this from happening to Yuli, but no one would help her. She said, quote, as far as I'm concerned, that October 12th, I died. I'll never be that old Yuli again. I'm building a new version of me, end quote. And she makes it very clear that DeMarco lost. She won. Absolutely. Yuli filed lawsuits against the estate of Michael DeMarco, the Condo Association, and the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Department. But I not been able to find the resolution of those. I don't know if she won those lawsuits or if they're still in court. I don't know if she won, but she should have at the very least won the claim against his estate. Even if the condo association and the sheriff's office did not lose the lawsuit. Because she had a million dollars, over a million dollars in medical bills. Yeah. But she should have gotten something because there were people that knew that this was a problem and nobody helped her. And it's not like, oh, she just stayed with him. No, she tra- she was gone. She was out of his That's life. Right. And y'all just stood by and watched him traumatize her over and over and again. And how many times do we see the story where a woman leaves an abusive man mm-hmm. and that's when he snaps. And she knew that she was in a danger zone. Yeah. And she was trying to get people to pay attention and say, look, dude, stop what you're doing. Leave her alone. Get away from her. Yeah, and she wasn't even being subtle. She was very obviously like, help. They (laughs) literally laughed at her on the phone when she called the condo association. Frustrating. This guy, Michael DeMarco, took an independent, strong, vivacious woman and nearly killed her. Mm -hmm. He gave her lifelong injuries, and he made it very hard for her to get back to a place where she can adequately support herself. If anyone is able to find out how those lawsuits turned out, I would love to know that. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, if you would like to support her and Ariana, because Ariana's a grown-up now. She's close to your age. Not quite your age, but a little bit younger. She's probably done with college. But they have suffered financially trying to get through this period of time. Of course. With her not having any employment. And she may be employed now. Not to mention, you're not bringing money in during that time. But also, you still have the million dollars of medical bills that are going to keep coming back up, you know? Yeah. God, that's horrible. So, it's not an entirely happy ending, but she did survive that. She is a strong woman. Mm -hmm. She's a gorgeous woman, too, I might add. She's from Peru. Of course she is. (laughs) They're all hot down there. Right. (laughs) She's really a special person, and I... Would love to see her get some more support and raise that $18,000 up to something a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Only 18000 Especially you said it's been covered quite a bit. It was covered quite a bit. She was on the news. Chris Hansen did a series on YouTube about her. She deserves to be treated a little bit better. So that is the story of Yuli Solano and... Yeah. And Coco. Coco, little savior puppy. Good job, buddy. Coco, cute little guy or girl. I don't know. Sorry, Coco. 
I think that's all I have for episode 63. Well, did you see the comment from Scardy Jet on Instagram where Puss and Scardy Jet are going to riot against the administration or something like that? I don't remember what exactly it No, said. I didn't, but now I have to go check. Riot against the machine. I find it funny that Puss has an Irish friend now. She has an Irish dog friend. He's I a know. greyhound. Isn't that wild? So if you're not following Scardy Jet on Instagram, mm-hmm. he's adorable and you should go follow him. Eric, his well, I think that's all we have today. It is. And this is coming out on the weekend of April 1st. So happy April Fool's Day, everybody. Oh, that's right. Yep. Be nice with your pranks, though. Don't be mean. Don't get anybody killed by accident and doing something stupid. Yeah. That's all. That's all. <laughs> that's all for me, too. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <coughs> is Iceland considered Nordic? I think it's part of Denmark. No, I'm sorry. Greenland is part of Denmark. But Iceland's right off Greenland, so I, between Denmark and Greenland. I would have to say it's highly influenced by the... Nordic culture. Yeah. What do they call it? The whole Finland and Denmark and Sweden. Slo- Slovakia? Not Slovakia. Scandinavia? <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yes! Okay. <laughs> Why does anybody still listen to us I... and think we're credible sources? <laughs> All right, I think that's enough for sound check. <laughs> <laughs> Over the, the next few weeks, okay, go ahead. What, what about the snake? I'm just wondering how he just did. He just break it out like he's what? like, "Hey, here's my snake." This yeah, a lot of guys do that. They send you un- unsolicited <laughs> snake pics. <laughs> Don't you start that? She'll come in here. And... <laughs> it sounds like you smacked me. <laughs> I'm not abusive.